Amen. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. Man, thanks for uh, being here this morning. Sometimes I kind of wish the, uh, the school districts, you know, that they would give me a call before they plan out their spring breaks. Um, I think everyone is out of town, except you all. Thank you for being here. Um, yeah, the Fort Lewis College, uh, Durango High School, you know, the 9R School District, Bayfield, Ignacio, they all had spring break on the same week, which never happens, but it did happen this year. But thanks for being here. I have spring fever myself. Um, I actually don't even want to listen to myself preach. I'd rather be outside. So thank you so much for being here and uh, putting up with me. And I just pray that you're greatly blessed uh, for making the efforts to be here this morning. Um, We're going to be in Esther chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. And uh, once again, we love to to just preach through the Word of God here at Grace Church because that's where we find um, the wisdom of God. And so we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 of Esther chapter 2. And for those of you that uh, are just new here today, um, you can find uh, the sermon series online at gracedurango.com. And we put all of our uh, sermons up online. You can listen to the audio. Uh, We also film our services so you can watch the sermons online and uh, try to catch you up to speed. But today what we're going to do is we're going to meet two of the main characters in this story, in this book of Esther. We're going to meet Mordecai and we're going to meet Esther. And I just want you to know, as, as we study this book, as we study this book today, and as we study this book throughout the rest of this series, I want you to know and I want you to see that every character in this book has failures. Everyone in this book has made a lot of mistakes, and they all have flaws, okay? What, what you see is, uh, actually, I, I'd rather say it this way, a lot of us tend to go to the Scriptures and we read the Bible the wrong way. We, we tend to read it like religious people read it, okay? We go to the Bible and we read it in a very religious way. Religious people, they read the Bible this way. They read the Bible and they think, there's good people and there's bad people, and I want to be like the good people. Uh, I want to be good. I don't want to be bad, so um, I want to be like Esther. I want to be like David. I want to be like Moses. I want to be like Paul. Here's how we should read the Bible. There's bad people, and then there's Jesus. That's how we should read the Bible. The Scripture says there's none righteous, no, not one. None of us. No one. Not a single character in the Bible is good. No one is righteous. No, not one. So as we meet these characters, please understand that all of them are normal, just like you and me. Okay, They're not super saints. They're just normal people. So here we go. Are you ready? Are you awake? All right, it's spring. I'm going to have to fight hard to keep you with me. All right, we've already met Xerxes, but let me just say a little bit more about this guy named Xerxes, the king of Persia. He's often referred to as Xerxes the Great. Actually, it's more like Xerxes the Horrible. All right? Um, His Persian name is Ahasuerus, and his Greek name is Xerxes. And since Xerxes is easier to pronunciate, I'd go with that. So we're going to call him Xerxes. Um, Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Here we go. After these things, okay, we're going to look at what these things are in just a moment. After these things, when the anger of King Xerxes had abated, let me just say, he's been drunk for six months. Remember, he had a party for six months, and now he's starting to sober up. He's starting to come out of his drunkenness. And as he sobers up, 
he realizes that he's made some very dumb decisions. Uh, how many of you can relate to that? Don't raise your hand, okay? Just raise it in your heart, okay? Raise your hand in your heart. How many of you can relate to that? Like after you've sobered up from a drunken stoop, you begin to think, oh my word, what have I done? This is Xerxes, okay? He's, he's, he's coming out of his drunken stoop. He's, he's getting sober. Um, and now he, you know, he's full of anger, which, man, drunkenness and anger are never a good mixture. But um, he lost his temper, if you remember, and he divorced his wife. And now he begins to miss her. Now he's waking up from his drunkenness. And the Scripture says he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. So now he's realizing, oh my goodness, I just divorced my wife. I have no one to turn for comfort, no one to console me. The only one he has is Jack Daniels, Jose Cuervo, and Jim Beam. Like those are his only companions right now. And those guys have been his best friends for six months. But in the blink of an eye, they turn their backs on him. They're no longer for him. Now they are completely against him. Xerxes is totally depressed and now he's the great, pathetic King Xerxes. Okay? And, th- and this is a good time, church, for me to remind you that we, we, sh- we shouldn't throw away relationships so quickly. We live in a culture where we bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship. And we wrongly think that a new relationship is going to bring me happiness. A new relationship is going to bring me fulfillment. If I just had a different husband, a different wife, if I just had a different relationship, that, that's what I need. That's going to bring me fulfillment. That's going to bring me happiness. Xerxes dumped Vashti quickly, and now he's thinking, that was dumb. Like, what was I thinking? He divorced her because she said no. Remember, she stood up to him, and he couldn't handle that, so he divorced her. He chose to keep his sin and let go of his wife. And many of us are faced with that same choice. Let go of your sin or lose your family. Hold on to your sin or lose your family. Verse 2. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. Alright, let me just say a few things here really quickly. If you're going through a hard time and you're really depressed and you want some counsel, get it from the right source. Please, go to the right source for counsel. Most of the time, you will not get good counsel from young men. Okay? And I say most of the time because there are some godly young men who love the Lord who will give you great counsel. But most young men, if we're going to talk percentages, most young men are nowhere close to God. Nowhere. And it would be better to seek counsel from a dog, okay, than to listen to their gibberish. Seriously. My encouragement to you this morning is to seek counsel from men who have been down the road of life a little bit further than you have. Seek wise counsel. Seek godly counsel. Seek counsel where where they're going to point you to Jesus Christ. Xerxes goes to young men for counsel and he gets awful young man advice. Check this out. Then the king's young men who attended him said, 
Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. Okay? I got an idea, King Xerxes. Let's host a beauty pageant, and you get to pick the winner to be your wife. Of course that's going to come from young men, right? That's young man counsel right there. Verse 3. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of the kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the capital. This is modern-day Iran. Under custody of um, Hegai, the king's eunuch. Let me just say, you don't want to be a eunuch, okay? Who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them. And let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king... And he did so. All right, so Xerxes is depressed. He's discouraged. He's hungover. His life is a mess. He's rich, powerful, uh, but he's bored and he's unfulfilled. His bad decisions have gotten him to this place. And some of us have been in this place. We've been in this spot. Maybe minus the riches and the power, right? But we've been this. We can kind of relate. Selfishness pridefulness, foolishness, emotional outbursts, making decisions just on the fly and then months later regretting those decisions. Many of us have been in this exact same place. And we all get to places like this because we're all sinners. And when we sin, we are vulnerable to very bad counsel. So let me just say again, be careful, church, who you confide in Be careful who you receive counsel from, especially in your weak moments, especially when you're going through tough times. The most powerful man in the world, Xerxes, is lonely, depressed, and he listens to bad counsel. So up until this point in the book of Esther, okay, let me just take a little time out. Up until this point in the book of Esther, uh, let me just give us three big ideas. Three takeaways. Three big ideas. The first big idea is this. Those who chase their own glory will always end in misery. Xerxes, he lived for his own glory. He calls himself the king of kings. People think he's a god. People obey his commands. He gets to pick any woman he wants. He lives for his own glory. I mean, Xerxes' motto is, it's all about me. He chases his own glory, but he ends up in misery. Friends, you and I are prone to the same folly. We were created to worship. We were created to glorify, to praise. But because of sin, we seek to glorify ourselves. It's it's about my fame. It's about my money, my pleasure, my reputation, my wants, my needs. And we end up being miserable because our glory never brings full satisfaction. Our glory is never going to fully satisfy. The glory belongs to God. If you chase your own, own glory you get misery. That's what your own glory equals misery. Xerxes, rich, powerful, but he's miserable, lonely, and bored. Number two, the second big idea that we can take up until this point is when you don't turn to God, you'll turn to someone or something else 
to replace God. Instead of turning to God, Xerxes goes to a bunch of frat guys, right? And um, he seeks their counsel. And of course, what do these frat guys say? Uh, I got an idea. Let's find a, a bunch of young, beautiful virgins, right? It's the same dumb thing that frat guys say today. If, if you don't turn to God, church, you'll turn to something else. So so let me ask, who do you turn to? Who do you turn to to fill that void, to bring peace in those moments of crisis, in those moments of hardship? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to? Who do you go to for counsel? Xerxes' foolish counselors say, Xerxes, what you need is another woman. A bunch of women. That's going to fix it, Xerxes. You need another relationship. I know that one didn't work out like you thought, but hey, let's rebound, right? Let's rebound and let's, let's find another relationship. That'll fix it, Xerxes. And you know, many guys, they think the same way. I'm miserable. My life's falling apart. I need a woman. I need another relationship. No, you don't. You need Jesus. That's what you need. That's the only thing that's going to fill the void. That's the only thing that's going to fix it. So the big idea is realizing, is coming to that understanding that only God can fill that void in your life. And number three, the third big idea that I want us to take away up until this point is when you use people, you don't love people. Okay? The men are choosing these women based on their beauty. And then King Xerxes, he's going to choose his wife based on their beauty and their sexual performance. So when you use people, you don't love people. And many guys do the same thing today. They're sampling, right, all the different options, trying to find the most beautiful, the most pleasurable option. They're doing the same thing 2,500 years later. So let me ask you, are you using people or are you loving people? Let's move right along. Let's meet Mordecai and Esther and and let's look at some of the historical context of this book. Okay, Esther chapter 2, we're going to read verses 5 through 11. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel. He was supposed to be in Jerusalem, by the way. His name was Mordecai. He's named after a god in Babylon. The son of Jer, the son of uh, Shimi, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. So he's a descendant from the line of King Saul, who had been carried away from Jerusalem. Okay? Jerusalem was where at this time in the Old Testament, that's where the presence of God dwelt. Whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon... Excuse me. Among captives carried away with uh, Jeconiah, king of Judah. There's a lot of history. Whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah. That's Esther. Okay, She has two names. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. The daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, 
And when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel, the custody of Haggai, Esther, okay, this is the woman this book is named after, also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young women pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, okay, wings, nachos, jalapeno poppers, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or her kindred. She didn't tell anyone that she was a Jew. For Mordecai, that's her adopted father, had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. All right. Mordecai. All right, let's focus on Mordecai for just a minute. Mordecai appears 52 times in the book of Esther. And there is a lot of history here. We just read through a lot of history. It gave reference to a lot of history. So let me just try to explain it to you as best I can, okay? If you read the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, you'll see that God allowed a king named Nebuchadnezzar to conquer Jerusalem as punishment for their sin. And this king, Nebuchadnezzar, he took all the Jews as slaves into Babylon. The book of Daniel, it tells the stories of these events. Another king came along after Nebuchadnezzar, who was not a worshiper of God, but he was a man who believed that no one should be slaves. The Bible actually commends this king. His name was Cyrus. He made a decree that all of God's people should go free. And so they were free to leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem, go back to the presence of God. So if you, if you remember, God's people were given Jerusalem since the time of Abraham as their home. And this is where the presence of God dwelt in the Old Testament. And this is where they would worship God in the presence of God. Are you following me? Kind of? All right. So now... They're free to leave Babylon and to go back to Jerusalem. They're free people to leave and to go back. And many of them did. We read about these people in the books of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. It's the story of those people that left Babylon and they went back to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple. But we see here that not everyone went back to Jerusalem. Mordecai's family was one of the families that didn't return. So the question is, should they have returned? Should they have gone from Babylon to Jerusalem? And the answer is yes, because the prophet Isaiah gave a prophecy that God's people were to return back to Jerusalem. And Mordecai's family didn't go. They didn't listen. So Mordecai's part of a disobedient people. He didn't walk towards God. His family didn't walk towards God. He and his family stayed in Babylon, the pagan country, which is a picture of the world. They chose the world over the Lord. He wasn't an atheist, but he didn't tell people that he worshipped the God of the Bible. And he told Esther, he said, Esther, don't tell anyone that you're a Jew or that we worship the God of the Bible. They kept their faith very secret, very private. They're disobeying God. And and if you were to ask them privately 
Like, do you believe Mordecai and the God of the Bible? They would, they would, he would say, yeah. But don't tell anyone, okay, because I'm lukewarm. Don't tell anyone. It's a secret. It's like people in our day, church. It's like people in our day who say they believe in God, but you couldn't tell by their actions. You couldn't tell any difference between them and someone who was just full steam ahead in the world. You couldn't tell a difference. There's no difference in their life compared to others in the world. You know, it's people that are either hypocrites, unbelievers, or they're rebellious. They're in sin. So let me ask, is that you? You say you believe in God, but you're not living for Jesus. You say you love and follow Jesus, but the evidence wouldn't hold up in court. That was Mordecai. That's who he was. He does some good things. You know, he adopted Esther, his cousin. But then he lets her go to the Persian bachelorette, you know, uh, tryouts. Mordecai's worried about her because it says that he's checking on her every day. He's looking through the gate. But Mordecai doesn't say or do anything. You know, dads, fathers, a lot of us are like that. Sometimes we sin by not doing what we're supposed to do. It's kind of like our first father, Adam. He watched his wife fall into sin, and he didn't say or do anything. He just let it happen. We're supposed to speak up. We're supposed to act, especially when it involves women. Sadly, some dads are like that with their daughters. Man, we'll we'll reason falsely. You know, my my daughter, she's an adult now. Um, You know, she, she needs to make her own decisions. I know she's dating a total loser who doesn't believe in God and they're sleeping together and they're living together. But, you know, I check in with her every once in a while and it's just not my place, though. It's not my place to butt in. It's not my place. She's an adult. It's none of my business. Gentlemen, it's not only your place. It's your responsibility. Passive leadership. Listen to this, especially young men. Listen, passive leadership always ends up being no leadership at all. Are you like Mordecai? You're doing some good things. You know, maybe you've adopted a couple kids. You know, you're doing some good things, but you're completely missing the mark when it really counts. When you should speak up, when you should say something or do something, you cower back. You guys okay? All right. Next, we meet Esther. She appears 55 times in the book. She's an orphan who's been adopted by Mordecai. Most likely she's in her teens or her 20s. Hadassah is her Hebrew name, which means peace and joy. Esther is her Persian name, which means goddess or a star. So I find this really interesting, and I I do want to be careful. I don't want to read too much into the text. But she has two names, and and the author of Esther, the one who penned it, was very intentional at making sure both were recorded. 
So there's, there's some purpose to this. There's some meaning behind her having two names. She has two names. So which is it? Is it Hadassah or is it Esther? It's both. She's got two identities. She's got a Persian name and she has a biblical name. Okay? She's worldly, but she says that she believes in God. She's very conflicted. That's Esther, Hadassah. She belongs to God, but she doesn't show it publicly. She belongs to God, but she lives far from Him. She belongs to God, but at this point, we've never seen her pray. We've never seen her open the Bible, worship God. We've never seen her repent of sin. There's no evidence that she has any relationship with God. She doesn't seem to have her own convictions. All of her decisions are being made by two men who aren't looking out for her best interests, Xerxes and Mordecai. How many of you are like that? You're you're, you're sort of Christian, sort of not. You're, You're kind of obedient, kind of not. You're sort of reading the Scriptures, sort of not. Privately, you believe in God, but publicly, no one knows. You know what the Scriptures say, but you don't do what the Scriptures say. That was Esther. How many of us are like that? You believe in God, but you don't live for God. And Esther, Esther is a very complicated character, and many of us are too. So where she's at, where she stands on things, it's not always clear. And so it is for many of us. So, so Esther's in the harem. She's got her number. She's waiting in line for her one night with the king. So what's, what's she going to do? This is a complicated situation. What would you do? Let's look at verse 12. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Xerxes, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of, period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, they smell really, really nice. When the young women went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in. Okay, let me just be extremely clear here. They're not going in to Xerxes to go on a date. They're going into Xerxes' bedroom. You know, Xerxes is like a lot of young men. A lot of young men who think the same way. Let me sleep with you, and then I'll decide if I want to get to know you. Let's keep reading. And in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shashgaz. I think it's an ancient Persian rapper, uh, Shashgaz. The king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. do Do you see what's going on here? Do you see this? There's a lot of women. Every night for 400 nights, Xerxes is with a different woman. So, like, you know, you're, Esther, maybe she's like number 297. She's got her date set on the calendar. If she goes in and she pleases the king, she's going to be crowned Miss Persia, right? If not, she's going to go live in a nice room at the palace. She's, she'll never marry. She won't have any kids. 
her life will be lavish but pointless. So all the women, they go in at night and they come out in the morning. I'm picking on the fellas this morning, but you know, a lot of guys are just like that. I don't want to know her. I don't want to love her. I don't want to marry her. I I just want to sleep with her. I, I want her to show up at night and I want her to leave in the morning. And after that, I don't care if I ever see her again. You know what's tragic too, though, is women in that day, like women in this day, will compete for fools like that. You see how crazy this is? It's like, oh man, this book is so ancient, so old, it's so unrelevant. Give me a break. We're doing the exact same thing that they were doing 2,500 years ago. The heart of men and women has not changed much. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. Ladies, let me ask, man, what do you think she's going to do? What do you think she should do? Verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of uh, Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as her as his own daughter to go to the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Xerxes into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. We have, we have to be very careful with that word that was just used, that word loved, okay? He didn't truly love her. He just wanted to sleep with her. So don't get those confused. Esther won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So Esther wins, right? Esther wins this crazy pageant. So let me ask, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Yes. Okay? Then the king gave a feast, a great feast for all his officials. He loves to throw parties. It was Esther's feast. Okay? They hadn't had a queen for four years. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces. Yay! Everybody's happy, right? No taxes or less taxes. And he gives gifts with royal generosity. <sighs> so Esther wins this crazy pageant. But this is, it's a really tragic story. This is tragic. So the tough question is, is what do we do with this story? What do we do with this? And I have to remind us that Esther is probably one of the most difficult books in the Bible to interpret because it doesn't tell us. It's just fact. It's just history. She went in. She came out. She won. That's what it tells us. But what was she thinking? It doesn't say. What did she feel? It doesn't say. What were her motives? I don't know. It doesn't say. It doesn't give us a lot of details. In addition, we're not given God's perspective. God never speaks. Remember, this is referred to as a godless book, the book of Esther. God never speaks. A prophet never shows up. God is never mentioned. Other books of the Bible don't refer to Esther. 
There's no commentary in the Scripture. Like, it's a tough book. It's a tough book to interpret. So, I have to give some disclaimers, right? Because when I speak, when I speak especially preaching to a church congregation, I like to say, thus saith the Lord. It's black and white. There it is. You can read it for yourself. But sometimes I have to say, I think. I think this is maybe what it's referring to. When God's clear, we need to be clear. But when it's unclear, we use wisdom and we use our best judgment. So my encouragement to you is study this book on your own. Don't just take my word for it, please. Okay? So here's what I think. Can you shake your heads? Does that make sense, what I just said? Here's what I think. I think many people take a very religious approach when they read the Scriptures. Many people see good people and bad people. God must love the good people and He doesn't love the bad people. God uses good people, but He doesn't use the bad people. So, if God used Esther, she must have been a good person. If, if God only loves and uses good people, church, if He doesn't love and use bad people, then this book is a waste. It means I have to be my own Savior. It means I have to be the hero and I have to save myself, which leads to one of two things. It leads to pride or it leads to despair. I'm a good person and God uses me. Pride. Or it's too late. It's too late, man. I've, I've blown it so bad. I've messed up so many times. God could never use me. Despair. It leads to pride or to despair. So it's important. My encouragement is to approach the Bible the right way. Religious, uh, religious people approach it like this. There's good people and bad people. Do good things and God will bless you. Do bad things and God won't bless you. They miss the entire message of grace. What's grace? God loves the undeserving. God uses people who don't deserve to be used. And they fail to see that people in the Bible are painfully normal like you and like me. When we read the Scripture with a religious approach, we miss all the parts about sin. We just we glaze over it. We, we look at people like Abraham and we say, man, Abraham, he was such a, a great man of faith who twice gave away his wife to other men. Oh man, I forgot about that part, right? I forgot about that. That's twice too many, by the way. Twice too many. We'll read about Noah. You know, he was a godly man. He built his boat when there was no rain. Everybody was against him and his family. But we skip over the part where he got off his boat, he got drunk, and he got naked. Oh, yeah. That, where was that at again? You know, he was the first drunken sailor, right? We missed that part. And I know some of us, we think, no, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. There's, there's, there's some good people in the Bible. Really? Who? Well, what about that guy David? 
The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. There you go. Bam. He was a good dude. Really? David slept with another man's wife and he killed the man and kept the wife. Ah, dang. (laughs) Forgot about that. On David's deathbed, he put out an assassination hit. What about Paul? Let's let's, let's go from the Old Testament. That's the messed up section of the Bible, right? Let's go to the New Testament and let's look at Paul. He's a murderer. He murdered God's people. He broke into their homes, drug them out into the Colosseums and killed them for sport. One of the greatest men in all of Scripture was a murderer. No one in the Scripture is good. They're all messed up. All the little H heroes of the Bible need a big H hero, Jesus Christ. They all need Jesus, just like you and I need Jesus Christ. Esther wasn't reading her Bible daily. She wasn't memorizing Scripture. She wasn't fasting all the time. And she probably wasn't a godly woman at this time. When we read the Bible, it's important for us to understand that there are bad people and then there's Jesus. That's how it works. It's not bad and good. It's bad and Jesus. Everyone's bad. Jesus is the only one who's good. Man, I find, I don't know about you, but I find great hope in the book of Esther because God uses messed up people. He uses perverted people, rebellious people. He uses people who are not walking with Him. People who are not obeying Him. People who are not close to Him. And God shows them grace. He shows them favor. That's unbelievable. There is hope for me. There is hope for us. It gives me great hope. God gets Esther through it. She gets, he gets her through all of her sin and all of her bad choices. He gets her through it. He doesn't get her out of it. He doesn't get her around it. He gets her through it. And that's what God does for you and me. He will get you through whatever mess you have created. He will get you through it. That's what He does in your life. Even if you've made horrible decisions that have gotten you into very difficult situations, God will get you through it. And God gives grace to people who don't deserve it. God walks with you even when you don't walk with Him. God shows favor to undeserving people. God can get you out of the mess that you've created. It's such a weird mental shift that we have to make because we look at people that God's favor may be on and God is blessing and we become envious and we're like, gosh, they must, they're, they're so much better than me. They're good people. Like God just recognized their goodness and He just poured out His favor on them and I'm such a bad person. That's why I'm being punished. And, you know, we go down these weird, crazy paths and I'm, I'm just trying to say, church, it's not about good and bad. Okay? It's about Jesus Christ. And he, His grace is sufficient. His grace is for everyone. Esther is a picture of Jesus Christ. 
The whole Bible is about Jesus. Like Esther, Jesus grew up far from His home, His heavenly home. Like Esther, Jesus grew up in a sinful world filled with temptation. Like Esther, Jesus was adopted by an earthly father, a man named Joseph. Like Esther, Jesus was an unlikely choice for royalty. And we're going to see later on in this series that like Esther, Jesus stood up against evil and He saved His people. Jesus saved His people from death. Jesus, church, is the one and only true Savior. Jesus is a better king than Xerxes, and He's a better Savior than Esther. Jesus is a much better king, and He has a much better kingdom. So trust Him, okay? I I implore you, trust Him. Obey Him because He is good. He is perfect, and He is the King of kings. Amen? Amen? In a moment, I'm going to invite you up to uh, respond to Jesus Christ. And by up, I mean standing up. Okay, you don't have to come up here. Um, but I'm going to invite you to respond to Jesus Christ and um, just allow Christ to have His way in your heart. But before we do that, I just want to share some good and challenging news with you. I want to give you some updates in our efforts to expand the kingdom of God here in La Plata County. Whether you know it or not, we are trying our best to build a church here in La Plata County with the intention and the goal of impacting this region. That's our desire. That's our heart. We've seen God bless in great and mighty ways. And let me just brag a little bit on God. Grace Church is probably the healthiest it's ever been. But church, we have a serious gap. We have a serious breach in our efforts to be a strong, healthy, vibrant church, a church capable of impacting this region. I I see a, a serious problem. We're a young church, which is great. Okay, Our children's ministry is exploding. Not this weekend because it's spring break, but come next Sunday and you'll see. We have... Uh, Gosh, it's not even, we're not even preaching through Song of Solomon. And we have another wave of babies coming, um, which is very cool. We have young families everywhere. But we have a serious breach. We have a problem. We have a serious problem between our children's ministries and our adult ministries. Spiritually, some of the most critical moments, some of the most life-changing decisions are made between the ages of 12 and 22. It's a very critical time, very critical moment. And we currently have an amazing team of volunteers doing an incredible job with the time they have leading our youth. We've been averaging about 20 students every week um, in our collision student ministry. Let me just say, in our efforts... In our efforts to expand the kingdom of God, the leadership of Grace Church has made a critical decision. We've, we've made the decision to go all in. And I love that about this church. We've made, the decis- we've made this decision in the past to go all in, and God has blessed it in the past. So we're going to do it again. We're going to just step out in faith and see what happens. So after many months of prayer, after many meetings... Uh, the elders of Grace Church have decided to bring Reeland Wood 
on full-time staff here at Grace Church to fill that gap, all right? Relan uh, and Megan, they've been serving here at Grace for the past three years, and over the past year or so, God has been tugging on Relan's heart, uh, and he's encouraging Relan and leading him to step into a full-time ministry role. Relan's actually currently getting his Master's of Divinity through Liberty University, and his desire is to serve right here at Grace Church. I can't, I can't tell you how stoked I am about this opportunity. Relan and Megan, let me just say, Relan and Megan were both baptized here at Grace Church. They were both discipled here at Grace. They've both been serving as volunteers here at Grace, and now God's calling them. God's giving Relan an assignment to serve full-time here at Grace Church. That's awesome. Like it, it's stories like this that we've been praying for. It's stories like this that we've been working towards. This is, man, it's, I'm trying to think of the coolest word, but it's cool. That's <laughs> so amazing. And let me, let me be really clear, too. I, I don't say stuff just to waste your time. Like, I say probably too much, but every weekend, probably, we're not going to play church, right? I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste yours. We're going to go for it. But let me be very clear. This move, this decision is going to stretch us. It's going to stretch us financially. It's probably going to cause us to have to make sacrifices financially. But I believe it's a critical move to advance the kingdom of God in this region. We have some big goals. We're working hard to make sure every member of Grace is in a small group by the middle of this year. We're working hard to grow. You say, man, I just want to be in a church that just, I know everybody and it's comfortable. And it's like, you know, growth is a healthy thing. If you're not growing, it's not healthy. If you look at your son and he just stays that way until he's 25, it's like something's wrong. He's got to grow. And it's just like that in the church. We've got to grow. It's not all about numbers, but man, there is a ton of people who don't know Jesus Christ. And we're going after them. We're serious about it. We're working hard to grow, and when we can no longer fit in this room and we can no longer fit in the overflow room, we plan to go to multiple services. And our ultimate desire is to start strong, healthy, vibrant churches in surrounding communities where there is none, where a good church is really hard to find. Church, we're going to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to push, and we're going to work And we're going to work hard to advance the kingdom of God here on earth. And I believe this is an important step in helping this church to be very healthy so that, man, every single age group has solid ministry for it. You know, the fact is, is our kids need a youth pastor. That's what it boils down to. So please be in prayer for Grace Church. Be praying for Reelan and Megan. And I would also ask you this. I would also ask you to pray that God would show you clearly what your role is. Man, what part are you supposed to play in his kingdom? It's not just about reeling. It's not just about me or Chris or Keith. Man, you are a vital part in God's kingdom. What part are you supposed to play? What is your assignment 
from the king. And I would ask you to pray for that and then do it. Just do it. Life is so short. And you're going to stand before the king and he's going to say, what would you do with my calling? What would you do with my assignment? And I hope you can say, I gave it my all, King Jesus. I gave it my best. I'm going to invite the band up this morning as I close in prayer. And uh, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, you're a great king. You have the best kingdom. And unlike Xerxes, you were willing to get off your throne and to come down and to die for your people. No other king has ever done such a thing. Lord Jesus, we confess that we're like Esther. We don't start out ready. We don't start out prepared. We're not godly or pure. We, we come to you guilty and confused and disqualified. We come to you a mess. But you show us love. You show us favor. And you pour out your abundant grace upon us. And you change us. And then you allow us to be a part of what you're doing to expand your kingdom. I don't get it. Gosh, I don't get it. I don't understand it, Lord. But I am so thankful. I am so grateful for your grace. We sing praises to you now, Jesus, because you're the greatest king. You're the best king. Thank you, Jesus, for how you're working in our midst. Thank you for what you're doing in Grace Church. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.